Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 8. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Mahasiah. And on his left were Pediah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Mahasiah, Kelita, Azariah, Jezebad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teachers of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people, said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in booths during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves booths on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, 
and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. I, I hope that you expecting couples got some good baby name ideas from that passage. Maggie, you did an amazing job reading through that. Um, so this passage today reads like a revival. So I spent some time thinking about my childhood and moments where my faith became activated. I was about 15 or 16 when my faith became my own. Uh, I grew up going to church, but it was around this time that a youth group formed and it really started ramping up. Uh, there was a conference called Acquire the Fire. Um, that, that's what my youth group went to at the beginning of the year. It was my junior year in high school. The conference had a few hundred people uh, in attendance, and I don't think I'd ever seen so many Christians my age all together in one place before. Um, so during the worship, I remember everything all of a sudden feeling really personal, uh, like all of a sudden God mattered. Like at once, we're singing about Jesus' forgiveness, and wait, I needed Jesus' forgiveness. I remember there was a moment where I didn't even care that my friends were all sitting around during the singing part. I got up, I left my friends, I went down, but I was still a teenager, so I hopped over the fence surrounding the, the stadium seating, and I joined, well, it was kind of like a mosh pit in the front of where all the worshipers were. Um, something awakened inside me that day. Um, later that day, my youth pastor, who... He was either really new at the job or just really awkward. He said, so I guess it's my job to talk about what just happened and stuff. <laughs> I got to give him props for being really direct, though. Um, I'd gone to church my whole life, but being at this conference helped faith come to life for me. So you'd, you'd think with such a powerful acquisition of the fire from acquire the fire that i would be ablaze um, all fired up all the time about god and well i did become a pastor but then i think back to our last church session meeting every month we go around and tell each other our current prayer and devotional habits it's a good indicator of my fire level status recently this month this monthly share time has been the closest thing in my life to a Catholic confession for me. I'll admit, my, my study of Scripture hasn't been structured or disciplined. Um, and it makes me feel really guilty. Um, like I'm not investing my time with God. Down through the centuries, uh, God's people have gone through cycles where God's word has been neglected and the spiritual condition of his people deteriorates. Uh, and in God's grace, he sends renewal. One of the best examples of this in the Old Testament um, is when the priest, Hilkiah, is said to, to find the book of the law in the temple during Josiah's temple renovation. 
I mean, imagine if we were cleaning up our church and we found a book of the Bible we'd just forgotten about. Like, oh, Ecclesiastes, that exists, doesn't it? Like, that was what, it, what happened. They found a, a book of the law that they had just totally forgotten about. And closer to our time, I mean, the Reformation, you, you see that, that principle of sola scriptura coming out of the Reformation, it, scripture alone. Um, and you see the Great Awakenings, these are marked by these, this emphasis on God's preached word. Inevitably, um, one of the main marks of renewal is this renewed emphasis on God's word preached, or just God's word. Gospel renewal happens when God's word drops down into your heart and you see that sin and grace they aren't just concepts but they are your story um, so in our series we've been focusing on this time in israel's history where god's fulfilled promise to return his people from exile from babylon back to israel it brings about a renewal and today we see the shape of that renewal and in fact the climax of the renewal this is the time of, of covenant renewal based on the law of Moses. God calling his people back into relationship with himself. You see how they respond with tears, with promises, with good intentions. In today's passage, we learn that, that God not only gives us the Bible, but he shows us its importance in worship and corporate renewal. Encountering God through the Bible, it prompts spiritual renewal. Encountering God through the Bible prompts spiritual renewal. So Nehemiah 8, it shows us three marks of spiritual renewal um, related to God's word. And the first is that, that reading God's word, is, it's what inspires spiritual renewal. So in, in our passage, God's people come in rare form. They, the wall around Jer Jerusalem is, has just been erected. It's just been completed just a few days ago. And there's excitement in the air. Um, in verse 1, all the people of Israel sojourned to Jerusalem, and the text puts it um, that they came as one man. So they came together in one spirit. They call Ezra to read scripture to them, to read the law of Moses to them. It's the first day of the month, and in verse 3, we read that Ezra read from, from dawn, or, or from the daybreak until noon. So, so I mean... This, this festival is happening probably around the time of October. And so that's at least five hours based on when the sun's coming up now, about seven o'clock to noon. Five hours they're sitting there being read the book of the law. And the, the last verse in this chapter tells us that, that the whole thing in total took eight days. So eight days of long listening and Bible study. Um, so, so we should understand probably that the people that were coming to listen didn't hear God's word all the time because actually copies of the law of Moses were, were rare. So before the printing press was invented about 600 years ago, for comparison, the Bible had to be copied by hand and there'd only be probably one copy per city. And that was often chained to the pulpit, right, right here. And beyond this, I mean, in, in that time, they're returning from exile when the temple had just been uh, destroyed. Who knew? Who knows what survived? I mean, we know that at least a couple of copies survived. But I imagine that a lot of people hadn't been regularly listening to God's word. They hadn't been hearing it. Um, so if, if reading God's word is what inspires renewal, our call is to keep reading, to read and reread the Bible, because you don't outgrow scripture. You don't outgrow the Bible. 
So we're given a sense in verse 8 of the kind of teaching that really matters with the Bible. So in verse 8, it says the teachers are making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. They're translating it to the people. The Bible is most profitable when it's clear, when it's applied to life. Mark Twain is, is reputed to have said this, that it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that I have the problem with. It's the parts of the Bible I do understand. Reverent listening inspires spiritual renewal. This means that a commitment's made on both the part of the preacher and the part of the congregation. One thing that Jesus said to the Pharisees again and again was that they had ears to hear, uh, or that they had ears, but did not hear. As in their hearts were closed off. In this passage in verse 3, it ends saying, all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. They listened actively and attentively. And in verse 6, I'm really struck by this. Um, so after they lift up their hands and say amen, the verse ends saying that they fell prostrate with their faces before God. So we, we can see here that their attentiveness actually stems from their reverence. Their attentiveness is a symbol of their reverence. Um, they listen because it matters. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once said this. He said that listening to God's word should be like listening to the reading of a will. He, reads, he writes this. Supposing you went to hear the will of one of your relatives read and you were expecting a legacy from him. You'd hardly think it worth criticizing the manner in which the lawyer read the will. Rather, you would be all attention to hear whether anything was left to you, and if so, how much. This is the way we should hear the gospel preached. Finally, we can say that responsive obedience inspires spiritual renewal. So our aim, as Calvin put it, should always be to transform our lives by Scripture. You see in this passage movements from teary-eyed repentance to saying, no, joy, joy should be your response today. You see those inspired to good deeds and obedience. And you see a spirit of worship that extends beyond those being paid to care and keep up the traditions. I'm struck by that call three times in verses 9, 10, and 11. This is the day of the Lord, your God. Do not mourn or weep. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. You know, maybe this was the first time they were hearing about the responsibility of Israel in keeping the law and the curses associated with disobedience, with breaking it. Maybe that's why they were mourning. But instead of mourning, they were called to a joyful celebration. I mean, this was the first time that Israel had gotten together after the temple had been resurrected and the... Or, erected and the, the city had been fortified with a wall. This was the first time they were hosting this pilgrimage. What we read about is the Feast of Booths or, or Sukkot. Um, in, in the current calendar, Sukkot happened starting September 20th this year. It's an eight-day agricultural festival and it, it occurs in the fall harvest. And so it's a, a time of thanksgiving for God's provision. Um, and during that time, they, they erected tents. So in Leviticus, it associates that tent building with, with what Israel did when they uh, left Egypt in, in the Exodus. So um, this is what it says. So, so we do this so that generations may know that I made the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. 
So it's about thanksgiving, but it's about dependence as well. Um, I, I remember during my studies, I participated in a, in a festival of Sukkot. So I went to a local, uh, yeah, I went to a, a lo local synagogue, is that right? Yeah, I went to a local synagogue. Um, and, and we marched around the room in a procession, seven times, I remember. And, and we were chanting and singing. And afterwards, there was a big feast, and, and there was a lot of laughing. Uh, Sukkot is a, a festival, not of mourning, but of joy. Um, so I guess in summary, when we're, we're thinking about this idea of spiritual renewal, Nehemiah shows us three marks of it that are related to God's word. Reading it, reverent listening, and responsive obedience. These are things that inspire spiritual renewal. And historically speaking, uh, one commentator describes the importance of Nehemiah saying this, this day was going to be a turning point. From this day on, the Jews would predominantly be a people of the book. So from this day on, the Jews would be a people of the book. Now to be clear, it isn't simply the Bible, uh, but God working through reading, listening, and responding that renews us. What matters is that God, in whose word we devote ourselves, is a God of renewal. God is the God who tells us that he will take our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh. God wants us to follow Jesus, to be alive to the Spirit as his church. So for the Jews, encountering God through the Bible prompted spiritual renewal. Encountering God showed them a glimpse of his grace. I mean, according to the law of Moses, Israel deserved the consequences of their unbelief and rebellion. They deserved the exile. According to the law of Moses, what they didn't deserve was the return from exile. Their return was not the result of their merit, anything they did, but it was the result of God's forgiveness and God's desire to give them another chance. According to everything they just heard, they had no basis to approach God with any confidence or joy. Like their parents before them and their parents before them, they'd broken God's law. And the clear consequence of that was exile. It was God's spirit leaving the temple, not returning to the temple. So encountering God, it prompted a spirit of repentance and also a knowledge that God's great, uh, a knowledge of God's grace shown to them. This was God and his grace. The only reason they're back in the land with their families, a remnant of the former nation of Judah, was because God shaped history in such a way to bring them back, changing the hearts of Persian king Cyrus, Artaxerxes, Darius. God made a way. Now, according to Martin Luther, the default mode of the human heart is that of works righteousness. The idea that we can do enough good deeds to earn God's favor. And I'm not just talking about the people that believe all good dogs go to heaven. I'm talking about everyone, even those that profess that no one deserves to go to heaven. Probably why some of us, uh, or more likely just me, are prone to mistaking the loving accountability of the church session asking about devotions for the Inquisition. Um, it's our MO to believe that God accepts me because I obey, that I'm fundamentally a good person, so I deserve good things. And even after moments of clarity and dedication, we drift back to this insecure striving. It's, it's a jarring wake-up call 
to realize that Christianity is the exact opposite of what our hearts tell us. Hear these verses. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his own, one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life is not the gift of every, everyone who works hard enough, but for those who trust in Jesus. The Christian message is a gospel of good news to those who have nothing to bring God. God wants the gospel doctrines of sin and grace to be actually experienced, not just intellectually, but in your heart. The Christian message is the great equalizer that tells us that not even Mother Teresa earned God's favor, but that only by trusting in Christ, Mother Teresa, you and me, are brought near to God. Jesus offers his life to everyone, and those who say yes to him enter into the Christian life for the first time through conversion, and each subsequent time through renewal. So those, so those who do trust Jesus are called to rest, to relax, to love, and sit in gratitude. The way our text puts it is, is this. Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Be still. Now God's people are called continually to renewal. The way Paul says it is this. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. This verse is about meditating, chewing, and chewing on scripture. Digesting the Bible so that it becomes like the food we eat. So that it becomes us. Did you know this? That your body's cells, they replace themselves every seven to ten years. So old cells die and they're replaced by new ones uh, in, those, in that decade. So some cells like skin, like hair, like nails, we see those visually change, but it also ha happens with our bones and our internal organs as well. Our new cells are made from what we put into our bodies, our, the food we eat, the, the, the drink, uh, the air we breathe. In this way, spending time with the Bible through reading, through contemplative prayer, through memorization, through listening to sermons, talking about passages around the dinner table. Those are the things that transform us over time as the old degenerates and fades away. Nehemiah chapter 8 shows us that spiritual renewal is stirred through reading God's word, through reverently listening to God's word, and responsively obeying God's word. The 4th century John Chrysostom, he, he used to urge people to memorize scripture and to paint portraits of scripture in the walls of their minds. And over time, you'd build up something like an internal art gallery. And of course, the point isn't memory for memory's sake, just to have an art gallery to have an art gallery, but to do the word, to live in obedience. In the same way uh, that re reading scripture was impressed upon the Jews such that they responded by, by erecting actual tents during Sukkot, obedience to Scripture is the point. As modern readers, we have so much information at our fingertips. Um, we can become passive storers of information. And I'd say it's, it's better to slow down, even stop, 
and just put one thing into practice than store a hundred things in your brain. So as a community, I want you to consider what it means to be centered on God's word. How can, God, how can um, our use of God's word shape the way we teach our children so that it, awake, it, it awakens faith in them? And how can these practices help us to live in the joy of the Lord as our strength, as the text puts it? God calls us each individually and together corporately to encounter him and to be renewed in him. God calls us to be alive in the spirit, awake and experiencing the presence and power of God. I want to challenge you that have fallen out of practice of scripture reading to pick a book of the Bible. Pick one. Will you commit yourself to slowly reading through that book a little bit every day, even just a few verses? Not to earn God's love, but because it's a way to fellowship with God who cares for you. It's a way of letting God care for you. Those of you that are new to the faith or have a difficult time reading alone, it is so important for Christians to support one another. And that's why we have small groups um, and, and spiritual friendships. If this des describes you, find a small group and use that time in the group to process scripture together, to discover God and the heart of the gospel. Those of you in families that are not in practice of family devotions, I want to challenge you to do something different on Sunday and read a passage together and talk about it. Talk about the things you notice and then pray together. Those of you in dating relationships and married couples, I want to challenge you to find creative ways to invite God into your conversations. Have a coffee date and bring a Bible along. Especially in marriage, spouses help one another to apply God's word in ways that no one else can. Before I close us in prayer, I, I want you to take a moment to consider how God would shape our community. Um, if we accepted his invitation to read his word, committing ourselves to be renewed again in the gospel of grace. Consider your prayer life shifting from maintenance prayers to frontline prayers. Consider rediscovering the gospel and the spiritual inertia that can spark life-on-life -life contact with people. Consider the responsive, creative, and innovative ways that knowing the heart of God can touch your work and the, the people your work touches. Encountering God through the Bible, it prompts spiritual renewal. So return again to the word. Why? Because encountering God through the Bible prompts spiritual renewal. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you call us to be alive. Alive to your word, alive to your spirit. You don't call us to coast. You don't call us to stagnate. You call us to be alive. I pray that we would encounter you today and that you would renew us. I pray that we would be like little children again, excited about your word and knowing you. I pray that you would use that to renew us individually as a community. And I do pray for, for our community around us, that you would 
use the, the spiritual inertia that trickles down from this space to touch them so that they might know salvation through you. We praise this through your precious name, Jesus. Amen.